Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Um, we are going to launch into a new series this morning. So I'm, I'm really, really, really excited. And uh, kind of before we really launch into uh, the message this morning, I want to just have us look at a, a, a handful of verses together. Not really going to preach specifically off of these, but just kind of want to get them down into our hearing so that we're familiar, familiar with them and have heard them. And, uh, and we'll launch into the message here in just a sec. First one is uh, Romans chapter 1. Verse 17, this is uh, very familiar to us. We've been looking at this quite extensively over the last few weeks. Um, it says, for, I, for, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Everybody say by faith. Next we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 3, verse uh, 16 through 18. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Next we've got Revelation chapter 4 verse 8, it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. A few more here for you, don't worry. How many people love your Bible? Come on, we love the Bible, right? We're okay here? We can read the Bible in church? Good, I'm glad. Uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says, uh, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Just wanted to make sure you're listening. And then James chapter 1, verse 22. James 1.22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your Selves. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you that your word is a living and an active word, not a dead and a passive word. And I thank you that we can take great comfort and put great confidence in your word this morning and in your faithfulness to speak to us through your word. I don't know how, I certainly don't know why you choose, God, to meet with us each time we gather together as your people and speak to our hearts. I don't know how it is that in the midst of many words, you somehow deliver an individual message, but God, I'm asking that you would do that. And Lord, this morning, I ask that you would even speak to our hearts in such a way that there would begin to be transformation and a renewing and a, and a newness in our hearts. God, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. Lord, let us go beyond that though. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. Let us not... Be deceived into thinking that somehow your desire for us is merely good church attendance. But God, rather, let us understand fully and know deeply the reality of your word to our hearts, of your word to our lives. Let us be doers of your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. All right, so um, I came across an interesting kind of weird discovery this week something I thought was odd. I realized that 
my favorite things to consume have a similar, if not the same, ingredient. And that ingredient is yeast. <laughs> um, I love bread. Anybody love bread? Any other bread lovers? Come on. Anybody love, I mean, like, love, like, Atkins and me would not get along. <laughs> um, the Atkins diet would be the, the, the worst possible diet I could ever have to go on. I just could, if I, was, if I was told that I was gluten intolerant, I would just not care. I would put up with whatever the side effects of gluten intolerance are. I love bread. I also enjoy beer, and both have yeast in them, right? They both use yeast in the production of them, so I don't even know why I did this, but this week I got on this kick of looking up how yeast works. Anybody have those weird weeks, those weird moments where you're just like, I wonder, and now because we all carry around these things, we can just find out. Anybody remember the days, anybody old enough in here remember the days where you just had to be confused about stuff? <laughs> I was like, I wonder, like, that's a shame. I wish there was a way you could find out, but you can't. There's no possible way you're going to know that. Uh, the great bar argument is over, right? Like, there's no ability to argue anymore. Somebody just whips out their phone, asks Siri, and then you're wrong. And so this week, I made use of this great technology and started looking up and understanding yeast. And, and there's this interesting thing that happens uh, in making bread. And I'm sure we have, we've got some amazing bakers in the room, and they're going to come up to me afterwards and go, well, really? You didn't understand? I'm like, I know, okay? It was one day on the internet. I've learned all this, okay? Back off. Um, <laughs> but there's this really great thing that, that you do when you're making bread, right? When you're making bread from scratch, which I don't know if you know this, you can do. You can make bread at home. I know that's new for our generation. It's like, baking? What? Does it do it in the microwave? No. You use your oven. And anyways, uh, you, you take the bread, you, you put the yeast in it, you, you add this ingredient, and then you beat up the bread, you mix it up, you knead it, right? You punch it a little bit, you mix it up, and then what do you do? You leave it there. You just, you just put it in a ball, put it in a bowl, leave it alone. And while it's sitting there, that yeast begins to go to work. Similarly to beer, they add the yeast and mix it all up, and the yeast just begins to do its thing. Nothing else is going on. No one, no one has to do anything. Just leave it alone, and it'll do its job. I say that this morning. I bring that up because I, I feel like that's what I want to do this morning with the message. This, this morning, uh, we're going to be launching into a whole new series, but really, um, the way we work here as a church, and if you've been with us for a while, you've probably kind of noticed this, is the Lord typically tends to lead us uh, through what we're being taught on a Sunday morning. That's kind of the norm for us, is that as we are looking into the Word together, hearing the Word preached, that's kind of how He begins to lead us. And, and we've uh, just kind of stumbled upon that as a body, and, and that's kind of uh, what, we, what we do, how we work, how we function. And this morning, as I say, we're launching into a new series. Really, this is like one of our kind of series. That means we're going to be in here for a while, okay? Like, we're going to be in this series for the foreseeable future, which, if you've hung out with us very long, can be like a year. Um, and because of that, I want to take our time and really, really plant within our hearts something that I believe is going to begin to uh, do a work, begin to move and shake. We're not even really going to get into what we're, what we're going to be talking about in this series. I want to just kind of begin to prepare us and stir us and move us. I say all this because uh, really the, the, the defining moment in my personal redemptive history happened uh, on a, at a New Year's Eve kind of a party lock-in thing at a church. Anybody in youth church, youth ministry as a kid and go to lock-ins? These were the dumbest thing any youth pastor ever thought of. But here's what they are, in case you were blessed to never have to go to one. Um, pretty much what they do, they invite you to come and pay money to be locked into a room 
and stay up all night. That's it. That was pretty much the whole gist of it. And I went to one of these as a young, dumb, confused young man. And it was at that, in that context, in that moment, where I really experienced the, the Lord grabbing me by the back of the neck and pretty much telling me I no longer had uh, the time to run around and waste my life, grabbed a hold of me, and I experienced redemption. And kind of, I almost assume as a byproduct of that, um, ever since then, some 17, 18 years ago now, the Lord kind of speaks to me in that season each year. Usually sometime between November and December, uh, I, I begin to kind of feel stirred to kind of press into the Lord. And, and if this is new to you, I apologize. I'm not trying to use weird churchy words. But it's kind of like when, when a friend says they want to spend time with you and they kind of keep texting you and bugging you. Not like the friends, friends that you bump into randomly at a coffee shop or something like, hey, we should hang out. And then they never. No, I mean the, the people who are annoying and like, message you on Facebook, and when you don't reply, they're like, dude, I know you saw that. I could see at the bottom. You saw that yesterday. Why haven't you got back to me? And they text you, and they call you. It's, it's kind of that kind of experience where I'm just hounded by the Lord until finally I give up. Usually happens between November, December, and then usually by, by January, I have a very strong sense of what the Lord wants to do uh, in that next year. And this started in just my own personal life as I got married, and we started a family. This kind of expanded in my family, and as um, as I've taken on more and more roles of leadership in the church, it's kind of expanded to that as well. And I share this because this year was odd because it didn't happen. I noticed it about the second or third week in December. And I don't know if it's just because my schedule is kind of crazy busy and I just didn't notice it until then. And I was, at first I was really freaked out because when something, you know, you're so used to doesn't happen, it's kind of like what, what I immediately assumed, like most of us probably, like I have sinned some great sin and the Lord is angry with me. And, uh, and I'm some horrible, wretched sinner, and so therefore I'm just screwed. And um, like the Lord's grace has lifted, right? And, and I, I stopped and went, okay, just, just, you okay, Lord? And nothing. <laughs> so, oh. But as I begin to, began to rather press in again and just kind of look to him, something began to happen. He dropped a word in my heart, honestly, about the second week in January, which was really weird. And that, that word was, um, was a simple one. And it was merely this phrase, further up and further in. And if you're a Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis nerd, you instantly know what that is. And the rest of you are like, nope. Um, it, it comes from the Chronicles of Narnia, which was odd because I, I kind of wasn't looking for the Lord to speak to me from a children's book. But yet that's what was impressed into my heart. And I'm going to be honest with you, I had nothing more than that. It's further up and further in. And I went, Cool. And just kind of sat there. And I, I experienced over the next, honestly, several months, a, a germinating, a working of this word in my heart. And the reason I share that with you is this. I want to take this just as slow as the Lord took it with me, with us as a church. I don't want to rob you of the joy of the journey, of kind of discovering this. Because I believe that there is a significant shifting and moving that the Lord would have for us as a church. And I want to make sure that we do that in a way that we all are on board with it and we're all moving there. We, we kind of understand what I'm saying here. I don't want to jerk the wheel to the left real hard and, and lose us and miss us where we are. There's, there's a depth and a growth that I believe the Lord wants to bring, hear me, to your heart and to your life that if we move too quickly, I'm afraid we're going to miss it. So this morning, it's not my goal to hype us up. It's not my goal to get us all super pumped and excited. It is simply my goal to, to share a word with you that I believe will begin to do something in your heart 
as it sits there over the next several weeks and months. With that being said, we are going to look at a whole gigantic passage of Scripture. Anybody excited this morning for the Bible? Chapter and a half of the Bible. Here we go. Some of y'all are like, yay, and the rest of you are confused. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, we're actually going to open up our Bibles, come on, to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. And I just want to read this to us. We've been studying over the last couple weeks. Um, let's back up. We, we, we started this year studying the real core fundamentals of the Christian faith. And, and the big thing that we saw as we looked through the whole thing was that history and the Bible are all about who? Jesus. So then we looked at the gospel, we, we took a few weeks, we really dug into the gospel, we saw that the gospel is, is for the church, the gospel is for the city, and the gospel is for the child of God. Remember, we, we looked at that, and we saw that, we understood that, and we, we grabbed a hold of it, and what we really saw was that the gospel was all about Jesus. And so I want to start here, the, the book of Hebrews is written to a people who get this, they, they understand it, they're struggling with it, like many of us do, we, we struggle with the idea that really, I am loved and accepted now. I don't have to do anything, change anything, alter anything. I, don't, I can't earn it or, or somehow qualify myself for it. In fact, I have utterly and completely disqualified myself so much and so completely that even if I were to attempt to try to qualify myself, my disqualification is already sealed. And yet, we are accepted and loved in Jesus. Amen? And these people are struggling with that. They're struggling because they're going, like, yeah, but I want to do something. I want to I earn this somehow. I want to somehow make myself worthy of this love. It's, it's the same kind of reaction that Peter has when Jesus, if, if you remember, Jesus fills up his boat and his buddy's boat with fish. They're out fishing and, and they're catching nothing, which by the way, every time we see Peter fish, he catches nothing. You ever notice that? Like he fishes all night and all day and catches nothing. Like he needs to find a new job. I'm just saying. I don't know, it's just, it's a side note, sorry. So Peter is fishing all day and all night, nothing, catches nothing. The Lord comes, gives him a simple direction, and out of his obedience comes a blessing that not only fills up Peter's boat, but fills up his buddy's boats as well with fish. And here's what Peter's response is. He walks up to Jesus and he goes, you need to go away. (laughs) Because I... I'm a sinner, modern vernacular. I suck at life. I'm a crappy fisherman, and you just need to go. And that's kind of a natural response if we're really honest with ourselves. When we experience the goodness and the favor and the grace of the Lord, we kind of go, you know, I don't deserve this, so go away. And we can find ourselves running back to perpetual patterns of sin because we don't believe, come on, the goodness of God's grace and mercy toward us and our acceptance as his children. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to these people who are having that struggle. They're they're struggling with this idea that it's all about Jesus. And so here's what he says in verse 14. Again, we're gonna read some good Bible this morning, amen? So excited that four of you are excited with me doing such a great job imparting a passion for the scriptures to this house. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest. Who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? Jesus. Since we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. But of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when, God, when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself, hear this please, did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Check this out. So we, we, we get that? Are you, are you following that? We, he, he's saying here, I'm going to paraphrase what we all just read. Can, can, we, can I do that real fast? Here's what he just said. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> okay, he says, look, look you're, you're, we, we have a, a priest, we have a high priest, we have a God, we have a Savior who is able both to offer sacrifices and sympathy for us. This is all review for us, okay? We're just reviewing. I want to make sure we're all where we are so that we can move to somewhere new, okay? So he, he says, look, we have a God who gives us both mercy, does not judge us, condemn us for our sin, amen? And we have a God who gives us grace, which means he not only forgives, but he frees us, that we are not bound to the perpetual patterns of sin that we used to be bound to. There's forgiveness. Praise God, there's also freedom. So we no longer walk in the pattern we used to, but we walk in a newness of life. And this is the essence of the gospel, that it's all about Jesus, that all of this is accomplished by Jesus. Religion says, work really, really hard so God can abide in you. Jesus says, abide in me so that I can work in you. Completely different. People go, oh, you're a pastor, you must be religious. No, I hate religion. I love Jesus. Jesus is completely and utterly the opposite of religion. Jesus came to show us that religion doesn't work. You being highly and completely disciplined to some religion is not good enough. He came to give us devotion to him to cause his goodness to be so good to us that it would win our hearts over. And, and the writer of Hebrews here is, is saying consistently, he said, it's all about Jesus. Look at all that Jesus did. He has, he has accomplished for you both a sacrifice and sympathy because he lived like we lived. He knows our weakness. 
And so there's an acceptance and a love. There's mercy and grace, sacrifice and sympathy for us. He unpacks the gospel in this beautiful, amazing way. Verse 11. About this, we have much to say. About what? Can we simplify about the gospel? About the reality of your redemption, I have much to say to you, he says. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Such an uplifting passage of scripture. Here's what he just said. You're dumb and you don't listen good. Any parents in the room? Come on. It's like talking to a brick wall with you sometimes. He's saying, I want to tell you about this. I I want to to get into this with you, but yet somehow it seems like you've you've become numb in hearing it, maybe because you hear it so often, and you don't seem to be able to grasp it. He says, I have much to tell you about in this. For though by this time, this is verse 12, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, therefore what? Because of the gospel, because there's, there's more to this than just that. Can, can I just, I'm going to go ahead of my notes in a minute. You are redeemed for more than redemption. I'm going to say that again. You were redeemed for more than redemption. Let me say it a different way. There is more for the redeemed than simply redemption, simply the avoidance of eternal damnation. We're going old school today. Come on. There is, there is, there's more for you in the fact that you were redeemed. We celebrate and we, we stand in awe of the fact that we are forgiven. Amen. Rightfully, justly, if God did nothing else for us, I would be able to stand before him in the void and absence of time and never cease going, holy you. Like, Wow. If he did nothing else for me for the rest of my existence, for the expanse of eternity, I wouldn't run out of reasons to praise him. Are you hearing me this morning? But here's the amazingness of this, and here's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. There's even more than that. And therefore, chapter 6, verse 1, yes, we're in our third chapter of the Bible this morning, Praise Jesus. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. And of instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay. Let's, let's get into this. Let's, let's jump into this here. Here's what I believe we mean and what the Lord has for us when we say um, further up and further in. Okay, this, this word elementary, let us leave the elementary principles of Christ, the elementary doctrines of Christ. Elementary, literally, when you look it up in Greek, is, is a word that means origins. Let us leave the origin 
But in conversational Greek, when somebody was just talking and they would use this word, the first thing that would pop into somebody's head would have been the border or the edge of things like a big sheet of, of cloth, like a sail, or the edge of a, of a piece of, of paper that maybe had a story written on it. What he's saying here is this, let's leave the borderlands and go in and see what a great place we have been given access to. If somebody bought you a ticket to Disneyland, how dumb would you be to just stand in front of the gates the whole time? Like if I, buy, if I finally win the lottery and can afford to take my kids to Disneyland, if I find someone willing to buy my arm, because that's the only way I'm going to be able to pay for this, and go take my kids to Disneyland, I'm going to be pissed if they just stand at the gates like, this is really pretty. And we check in, they got like a little beepy thing, and you go inside. And if, look, the, the entrance could be great, it could be awesome, but if you just stay there, you're missing the whole point. And what, what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is this, look, you've been given access, so make use of the access you've been given. You were redeemed for more than redemption. This is so simple, it, it's easy to miss it. And I don't, I don't want to abandon its simplicity. I want us to grasp its simplicity. Let me say it this way. You were not saved, redeemed, converted to not go to hell. You were saved, redeemed, and converted for heaven. I know that's a subtle difference, but it's an important one. I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I ever responded to the gospel, it was to get out of hell. Anybody else with me? Like I, I went, I mean, I went to a, a youth camp. My parents would send me to these. I was such a horrible heathen kid. My parents would be like, I don't, just, we'll pay whatever we have to for somebody to keep them for a weekend. And they would send me off to these camps. Later, I'll tell you the horrible things I did at those camps. And, um, <laughs> And I remember this was like, they sent me to one that was like old school Pentecostal. Anybody ever go to one of those? And that dude, I swear to you, I could smell the flames of hell. He was good. I mean, and I came for, we all came forward just because like, that doesn't sound fun at all. And so we came forward like, I'll pray, I'll, do, I'll, I'll pray to anybody you tell me to pray to, to not go there. I didn't care about Jesus, give him or take him. I didn't really care, but I, I just didn't want to go there. Okay, that can be the mindset that we sometimes grab a hold of. I don't want to experience damnation, so I'll pick Jesus. And what we need to understand, what I believe the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here is this. You were not redeemed just to not go to hell. You're redeemed for heaven. We get so excited that we're not going to hell that we forget that we are citizens of heaven. Your citizenship fundamentally has changed. You are no longer a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. The Bible says it this way as well, that we were moved from death to life. How dumb are we if all we do is celebrate the fact that we're not dead anymore, but we never live the life that we've been given? Now, I want to be really, really, really clear. Okay, I'm going to back up because I get excited. Soundloft tells me I yell too much. Tough, I tell that. I am not in any way, shape, or form, advocating, teaching, or telling you that the purpose of your salvation is for you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and never have any problems. Okay? That's, when I say there's more for us than just salvation, I'm not talking about gold underwear, a, a Rolls Royce, and a big giant car and house. Okay? That's not what we're talking about. 
I am talking about something infinitely more valuable. I am telling you this, that your citizenship to heaven fundamentally gives you access to that now. Your access to heaven does not begin when you die. It begins when you were redeemed. Can we talk about heaven for a second? Um, Because apparently it's for real. Um, Sorry. I'm not going there. Don't make me. (laughs) Man. So, we, we need to understand this. When we see heaven, there's lots that's discussed, right? There's, there's the streets of gold and there's jewels and gems and there's all of this amazing beauty and glory and splendor. But have you ever noticed something interesting about, when, about heaven when we see it? This, this honestly, I, I kind of didn't notice this for years. And I remember reading through a bunch of passages about heaven uh, probably about 18 months ago, just out of curiosity, just kind of reading through. And I noticed something. All the building materials in heaven are clear. They talk about jewels with, with no blemishes, and they talk about gold so pure that it's, it's translucent. And I was like, what? I, how I pray. What's up with that? Why? You don't got time to build like stuff that you can't see through? And I realized it's because the ultimate treasure of heaven isn't the gold and the jewels and the gems and the structures. It's Jesus. And the Lord would have nothing stand between you and your ability to perceive Jesus at all times when you are in that place. So everything is translucent. You can see through everything because you don't ever want to have anything blocking your view of the real value that's there. So when I tell you this, that your access to heaven begins at the moment of your redemption. I'm talking about the very treasure that makes heaven heaven, and that is Jesus. You have access to a life in him that so vastly goes beyond some blessing that some long mullet-haired preacher on TV wants to tell you about. That cheapens the gospel. The reason I'm hung around here very long or listen to podcasts at all, I make fun of that a lot. You know why? Because it cheapens the gospel. Oh, God wants you to have a nice car. I could care less what I drive. I just want to have Jesus. Because I found my life is a whole lot more fulfilling driving around in my beat up, busted, disgusted car with Jesus next to me than driving around in a really nice car without him. He doesn't like nice cars. I didn't say that. He's saying I should sell my nice car. I didn't say that either. What he's saying here is this. There's a border that you're on right now. You need to move past the border. Now, this is, this is I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Can I do that for a second? I'm not talking about leaving the gospel. I'm talking about fully exploring the gospel. I'm talking about the fact that you have access to Jesus And that implicit in that access is an invitation to explore him. To get lost in the amazing wonder and splendor and glory and majesty and goodness that is him. That you can explore his nature and his character and his person and you can get lost in it because it's so ridiculously attractive. You have access to that. 
And so we ought to, in the gospel, explore him. We're not leaving the gospel. Do you understand that? We're, we're still in the gospel. We are going further up and further into the gospel and its ramifications. We are, we are exploring him and allowing him to explore us and, and allowing the truth of the gospel, hear me please, to, to permeate and, and penetrate every nook and cranny, every, every canyon, every mountain of our hearts and of our lives until it fully and completely encompasses us. And at the same time, we are not leaving the gospel. We must leave the comfortable place that we are in if we, to, if we are to explore this. Fundamental reality in physics. I can't stand here and go there at the same time. Okay, you understand, we're not leaving the gospel. Are we together on this? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're exploring the gospel, but we, we have to move past the edge if we're going to get in there. See, the, the Bible talks to us about we read these two verses. It talks about the, the growth and the maturity, which the writer of Hebrews here is telling us we need to. It's good and expected for us to become mature in him. Amen? If we're going to do this, we read in, in Romans and we read it in Corinthians. That progression happens from faith to faith. Amen? It's a progressive uh, understanding of glory to glory. Can I confess something to you? Glory is good. Faith, good. We like, if we're here, I'm standing in glory and faith, good. Glory over here, faith over here, good. It's the two that sucks. It's leaving here and going there that's miserable. I remember being confused by another thing. Apparently, this is my morning to confess things that confused me about the Bible. Um, God calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That ever confused anybody else before? Alpha and Omega, if you don't know, the, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. So he's the A and the Z. I remember being like, okay, Lord, but what about B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J? What about all that? And when you look at the narrative of Scripture, we find this a lot. Maybe you've experienced this in your own Walk with the Lord. God calls you to do something. You have a strong, intense sense of what the Lord has called you to do. Anybody experienced this before where, where you know that you know that you know you're supposed to do it? You're standing in faith. Come on, you, you've got faith. You're standing in an a, a, a understanding of the vast holiness of God, which we call, when the holiness goes public, we call that glory. Remember this? We all together on this. And he's with me. And I feel his presence, and I know he's with me, and I'm excited. And he tells me about this great thing he has for me over there. And I'm excited. And then I take the first step and the second step, and come on, anybody else experience this? It's like, Jesus, where did you go? That's the, that's the gory of the two between the glories. Right? Like I, I knew he was there, and here's the funny thing. When I get to that place that he's called me, I, I sense his presence again. Why? Because he's the alpha and the omega. And he speaks to us in this place to go to that place, but if you're not willing to leave this place, you'll never get to that place. And so when I tell us that I feel the Lord is calling us to go further up and further in, I'm letting you know there's going to be some discomfort between the place that we are now that we like so much, and we've gotten everything moved around to where we like it and we know it, and we understand it, and we're comfortable in it. And he said, yeah, but there's more for you to explore. 
Let's leave the borderland. Come on, somebody, and go into this thing and just see exactly what it is we've been redeemed for. Let's go further up and further in. Let's explore this a little bit more completely. Because maturity is the right and good expectation of our Heavenly Father toward us. Our growth and our understanding and our maturity is what God longs for us to have. Talks about this here. He says, look, to be mature is to be able to understand the Scriptures. Come on. And through that, have an understanding that you own yourself to be able to distinguish right from wrong, good from evil, truth from error. Calls it discernment. This is something that we all need to be growing in because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's not just something youth pastors say. Okay, God redeemed you for a purpose. Here's what that purpose is, to make much of him as redeemer. How you are going to do that is a unique and individual experience that I can't give you some patent answer to. I can give you the big answer. You were called to bring glory to Jesus. How you do that, I don't know. That's part of the joy of discovery and, 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 and the, the process of redemption working through you. That's part of, can I just, going further up and further into him, that discovery process. And the reason why discernment becomes so important to us in that moment and in that process is because a personal calling, please hear me on this, if we don't, if we don't have that discernment, can quickly become an idol in and of itself. And Lord says, look, I want you to have discernment so that you can know what my plans, my purposes, my calling for your life is, and you can walk in it, fulfill it, and experience it. Amen? As a church, we make much of the redemption and the redeemer. Rightfully, justly, good. It's right for us to do that. But I don't want us to miss all that God has for us. Hear me, we're not leaving the gospel. In this season, this new season for us as a church, I believe God wants us to explore all the ramifications of the gospel. Can I just put it simply? There is more in the gospel than your forgiveness and freedom. If all there was was your forgiveness and freedom, we could worship for eternity. How much more deep and full will our worship be when we more completely and fully grasp that which God has done for us, that which God has given us access to? Let's stand to our feet. Again, I know that I didn't get into a whole lot of specifics here this morning. I did it on purpose. I want to just get something inside our hearts where we begin to believe, whether it's again or for the first time for some of us, that there is actually more. Please hear me. I know how hard it is for some of us just to wrestle with the reality of our own redemption. 
So I want to make sure I give us an adequate time to allow the truth and the reality of God's goodness that even goes beyond just forgiveness and freedom in our redemption. So this morning, my heart would be that as we enter back into worship, as we enter back into his presence and respond to him through singing, through praying, through meditation, through the the partaking in communion, that we would begin to allow our hearts to be open to him in new ways. And to begin to take off the blinders, begin to take off the, the limitations that we put on ourselves. Listen, yes, you are a sinner. Yes, I am a sinner. But here's the thing. If you have experienced redemption, you are also a son. And I don't want us to miss that. You are a child of the living, redeeming God. And access to his person is yours. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come this morning. God, and you would meet us in this place. But I specifically pray for those that are here that truly do struggle with the idea that you have done more than just help them escape hell. Lord, I pray for that one who struggles with even the idea of being worthy enough to experience your redemption. God, would you come in your goodness and in your grace? God, would you come in the depths of the reality of who you are? Would you help us to hear your voice? To know your presence.